Genesis chapter one. If you open your Bibles to the very first page, in the very first verse, you will read the setting before the creation of the world. We actually just talked about this last week when we did baptisms. We have the chaos waters. We have the spirit of God. And then the first action we read at that moment is God spoke. In verse three, God said. And you continue through your Bible and you read it over and over and over and over. As God creates the world, he could have done a bunch of different things. He decided to speak. He could have stomped his feet or danced a jig or something, right? He could have communicated in what other way, like ESP, is that what it said? Mind control, don't matter, right? Off my notes. And as the Bible story goes on, he continues to speak over and over and over. And one of the main things that separates this God from the gods that all the other people worship is that this God speaks. In fact, Yahweh defines himself as the speaking God. And it's so obvious that the biblical authors sound almost incredulous when they're talking about these other gods that do not speak to their people. Right? They're like, you made an idol out of rocks. That can't say anything to you. Like you carved a statue out of wood. Like, first of all, how do you know which end of the log you throw into the fire and which end of the log you should worship? And then second, is that going to teach you? Like, is that piece of wood going to teach you? And in those pagan days, it was very obvious that idols were not speaking to you. But in our day as well, as people chase idols, it's very obvious they do not speak to you. They do not teach you anything. Like people give up their lives in pursuit of wealth. Does wealth teach you anything? Does it speak to you? Can it direct your life? People give up their lives in pursuit of sex or pleasure or kids sports or what they look like or all these idols that we make. And none of those things can direct your life. None of those things can give you a future and a hope. None of those things can correct you if needed or encourage you when you're sad or strengthen your soul in moments of difficulty. But the God of the Bible is not like that. He is the speaking God. And if you keep going in your Bible, we get into John chapter 1, and we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, drawing this clear imagery of God speaking once again. So we already knew that Yahweh was the speaking God, but now there's a connection between God being the speaking God and Jesus. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, we are told very directly that at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So we have mountains of biblical evidence to point to the idea that we believe in the speaking God. So if that's the starting point, then how do we respond to that? How do we respond to a God who speaks? Well, if someone speaks to you, there's a couple ways you can handle it. Uh, the immature way to handle it is while they're speaking, you're thinking of what you're going to say back. And a lot of people do that, right? Oh, I got something to say, right? We were at the men's retreat and, you know, 
when you start stories, like the stories like build and build until like somebody gets the most cool story. It's like, I played football. Well, I saw football once. Well, I had a football stuck in my esophagus one time. It's like, <laughs> my friend owns football. You know, like the stories just keep going up. like, And that's what's happening when we're building on those is we're, we're hearing your story and we're like, oh, that makes me think of my story. And you're not thinking of what they're saying. You're thinking of what you're about to say. And then somebody else is like, what am I going to say? And I don't know, that just seems like not the right approach when it comes to the speaking God, right? Probably we shouldn't be thinking about what we want to say. If you are, that's fine, and I don't want to judge you. But I would say that maybe listening to God could be the most important thing we ever learn to do. I, I probably shouldn't say should or could. Listening to God is the most important thing you ever learn to do. Hearing his voice So this says that since the very beginning of your Bible, the Bible has always been about Jesus. The Bible has always been about God speaking. And here in Hebrews, it says that Jesus' life was the summary of all that God had spoken through his word. So another way to say it is this is what it would look like if the word of God became a person and interacted with the world. So the question then becomes, okay, if God is the speaking God, and if it's all been about Jesus, and he has spoken to us through the life of his son, how do we then hear from Jesus? Like, what is going, like, I can't just go ask him, right? I, I just can't walk up to him. He's not in a location on the earth. How do I hear from Jesus? It's a great question. For this answer, I'm going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 11. You've probably heard this before, but lots of people uh, don't think it through or don't have a great answer as to what it means, or maybe just don't understand what Jesus was saying. But here's what he said, Matthew chapter 11. If you have a white or a blue Bible that I gave you, that we gave you, it's page 476, if that's easier to find. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you have heard this verse before? It's pretty common. How many of you know what it means? Sometimes you're like, I think so. I mean, we grab onto that like rest burden part. But if I came up to you and was like, what do you do to get the rest? You're like, I, I take his yoke. How do you take his yoke? Do you know what a yoke is? It's a piece of farm equipment. It's a tool. So this is actually a very weird thing to say for Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke. And there's like this clear like farm equipment tool like language being used. And he says, take that tool and learn from me. You're like, wait, a tool? Like, hey, are you really tired and heavy laden? You're doing a lot of work? Feels like you want to give up? Here's a tool. Like, oh, well, that's not that helpful. But then he says this thing, learn from me. So picture this in your mind, right? Don't take a yoke because that's 
a tool that we're not very familiar with. Let's put in place, just for the purpose of analogy, a tool that we understand, like a shovel, right? If you're digging and Jesus is like, hey, are you tired? Does it feel like you're doing a lot of work? Does this feel overwhelming? Are you worn out? Here's a shovel, learn from me. Now, if he said that to you, here's a shovel, learn from me, what would you expect him to do? To also have a shovel, right? He wouldn't be like, here's a shovel, let me tell you what to do. No, that's not what he says. He says, here's a shovel, learn from me. You would expect to look at him and show you how to use the shovel, how to use the tool. So in that sense, when Jesus says, learn from me, he's very clearly saying, I will be your example. If you are weary and heavy laden, he will give you rest. How? As you learn from him as your example. And then he starts to tell how his character is. He's gentle and lowly in heart. That's humble. And in following Jesus's example, in hearing God's voice through the example of Jesus, you will find rest for your souls. For the tool he gives you to live your life, the tool he gives you to follow his example is easy and the burden is light. So the short summary of this is Jesus is our example and we should do then what Jesus did or at least try. So we're going to go back to 1996 and get WWJD bracelets for everybody. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. Although I did make that joke at the men's retreat and then went to a wedding where a guy had a WWJD bracelet on. I can't even make that up. I was like, ah! I was like, that's hilarious. Anyway, that happened yesterday. But it's biblical. Follow Jesus' example. So if you read Jesus doing it, it's probably a pretty great idea that you incorporate that practice into your life as a tool now, what do tools do? Tools focus your energy. Tools make your effort profitable. They accomplish things, right? If you think back to the chaos waters, right? Lots of energy, no formation, nothing's getting accomplished. It's all over, loud, noisy. But a tool would then bring form out of the formless and bring energy into submission and then be useful in accomplishing a purpose. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling you to here. If you are burdened and heavy laden, you might just be living in chaos instead of living in the example that Jesus has set for you. So what do we follow as we follow Jesus? What example do we follow? Well, there's a ton to choose from, but uh, this weekend on the men's retreat, we talked about three, so I'm gonna give those three to you here, and then we're gonna make time to do some of them. The first one is this, prayer. If you want to follow Jesus as your example, prayer is absolutely essential. You see Jesus making time to pray on nearly every page of the scriptures. And when I say prayer, many people think asking God for stuff. And that's a very shallow, terribly narrow definition of prayer. It's not just asking God for stuff. Prayer is intentional engagement with the Spirit of God. So sometimes it's asking God for stuff, but many times, and even I would say most times, it's not asking God for stuff. There's a tons of different types of prayer in the Bible. There's thanksgiving, there is confession, there are prayers that are too deep for words, so you couldn't even ask God for the thing you think you wanted if you knew what it was, because you're like, ah, I'm just praying, right? There are prayers that are prophetic, there are blessing prayers that are prayers that are just repeating the truth of what God has done out loud, and that's not even a great list. 
Because that's not my point. My point is this. If we are going to take Jesus seriously as an example to follow, that we might take up his easy yoke and find rest for our souls, we cannot do without prayer. We can't do without prayer. So there's a couple spiritual disciplines uh, that we see not only in Jesus' life, but have been a huge part of the history of church that allow us to enter into more prayer. And, and two of those are, we'll start with this. Let's start with silence. Again, we talked last week at the baptism about the chaos waters. We actually just read it, that God speaks over the chaos waters and brings formation to it, right? But at the beginning, we see the spirit of God over the formless, chaotic, meaningless deep with the idea that the formless void does not mean quiet, but is noisy and loud and unfocused. Just like if I smacked a guitar or chucked it downstairs, you wouldn't be like, oh, beautiful music. That, that's chaos, right? That's unformed. That's just noise. And that's what was happening. And so we see Jesus choosing silence and stillness as a way of pointing back to God bringing form out of the formless, right? Quiet and stillness, we talked about it at baptism, is not what happens when you just let things go. Quiet and stillness happens when formation occurs, when things are restrained. And so Jesus choosing quiet and stillness and silence is a reminder of the God who brings those things, formation out of the chaos. So Jesus many times goes up on the mountain to pray or rises before the sun and gets away from the crowds of people. He seemed to set an example for us that silence was a vital part of his life in connecting with the Father. So if we put these ideas together, Jesus chooses silence and silence is the opposite of chaos. Then to choose silence is a reminder to our souls of the God who brought form out of the formless and stillness out of the chaos. And when we choose to practice silence then, it serves as a way of reminding our bodies and our minds and our souls of the very thing we most deeply desire God to do, which is split the chaos and bring forth that which makes life. Or as Jesus just said, put aside the work and find comfort and rest. The last thing we'll talk about this morning is solitude. Now, when I say solitude, you probably think by myself, and some of you single moms are about ready to throw something at me right now, which, hold on a second, right? Probably any moms are like, solitude, my kids too. You want a moment to yourself? Right. Okay, don't be mad. Here's the definition we're going to use of solitude. Without distraction. A distraction is inherently defined as something without meaning, right? So if it's a distraction, it's less meaningful than what's really going on, right? We're going to watch football this afternoon, and there will be lots of distractions and people going in motion. And the point of that is to get you to look over here while the real thing's going on over here. So solitude is getting away from those distractions. So you know, people are like, oh, church is my, or woods is my church. You know, I like to get out by myself. And actually what they're not doing is removing distraction. They're just engaging in their favorite form of distraction, which is the woods, right? Or you go to a coffee shop, like, oh yeah, to engage in your favorite form of distraction, which is coffee, like no judgment, Seth. And then, you know, or we go to our favorite form of distraction, which is shopping. Well, I went by myself, so that's solitude. 
I don't mean to make you feel bad. Maybe you do mean a moment to yourself to do what you feel like doing. But don't confuse that with what Jesus did when he chose solitude because he intentionally removed distractions. So prayer, silence, and solitude. I would argue these are the three biggest habits in Jesus' life that we could learn to follow his example in. So we have 12 minutes till the end of service. Worship team, you can come on up. We are going to practice what we just saw, right? We're going to practice the example that we saw in Jesus' life. Now, some of you are like, wait, you're going to play? I thought you said silence. Maybe you haven't thought of this before, but sometimes when we play songs and they go a little long and some people are singing words that aren't on the screen, you're like, I'm trying to sing a song here. You're not helping me. What are we supposed to be doing right now? You're supposed to be connecting with Jesus. You're supposed to be listening for the Spirit of God, right? Sometimes when we play a song, it's not intended to be engaging for your mind. It's just supposed to be like spiritual white noise so that you can connect with the Holy Spirit, okay? So everybody has on their chair, and you probably threw it away because you didn't think you needed it, but now you're going to feel bad, a piece of paper and a pen, okay? And we're going to sing a couple songs this morning, and we're going to do it not intending for you to sing the words. If you want to sing the words, you absolutely can. But mostly we're going to do this as an intentional time of prayer that we remove distractions from, so it's solitude. And we're just singing unto the Lord. So there's silence. There's no inputs. There's no what's taking my attention, okay? And here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to write at the top of that paper right now. Everybody get it out. I'm going to point at you and call you out if I don't see a pen in your hand and a paper on your lap. Do you see the guilt? I just, Christians have been guilt tripping people for a long time. We're good at it. That's how. I want you to write this on the top of your paper. Are we out of pens? We had a whole bunch. Oh, they're coming. Lord... Today I hear you speaking to me about dot, 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 and I want you to write. I just want you to write after that. And listen. Listen for the speaking God. And be honest with yourself. Maybe you're like, nothing. God, I came to church and I don't feel anything. Or, God, I'm distracted. Why am I distracted? Or, God, I can't stop thinking about this thing. Why would I be thinking about this thing? Or, God, is there something you want to bring to my attention that I'm not listening to? Or is there something I'm doing in my life that's making it so I cannot hear you? I don't know where the Holy Spirit will lead you, but he's graded his job. So we're going to make the time to sit in prayer in some silence and solitude for the next, I talked a little bit, so 10 minutes. Can we all do that? 10 minutes. What? No, you're not getting graded and you don't have to turn them in. Lord, we want to hear your voice this morning. We want to hear you speak to us.